Hello, welcome back to our class on 1st and 2nd Peter. My name is Bob Lawrence, one of the Bible class teachers here at the Anchorage Church of Christ. And today we come to 1st Peter chapter 4. Now we begin this week with a bit of a history lesson. You might have heard that around 64 AD, there was an incredible fire that destroyed Rome, the, the city of Rome. Now, some people say that that fire was an accident and that it uh, was like, uh, you know, many other fires in that period of time that would have destroyed a city. But some people say that that fire was ordered by Nero because he wanted to clear out the slums. He wanted to clear out uh, parts of Rome so that he could build this incredible palace to himself. And so a rumor had circulated in the 60s AD that Nero had, had actually caused this fire. Well, fast forward about 45 years after that, there's a Roman historian named Tacitus who writes about this rumor and Nero's response to the rumor. And in the middle of that response, Tacitus, or in his description, Tacitus mentions Christians. And he gives us a hint as to how Romans in general thought about Christians at the time of this fire. And you might remember that it was around the 60s AD that the letter of 1 Peter was written. So what we're getting here is a extra-biblical or a historian's look in that period of time of what people thought about Christians. Listen to how Tacitus describes how Nero was responding to this rumor that he had caused the fire. For all human efforts, all the lavish gifts of the emperor and the propitiation of the gods did not banish the sinister belief that the fire was the result of an order, specifically this rumor that the fire had been ordered by Nero. Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. Christus, or Christ, from whom their name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty, in other words, crucifixion, during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate, and a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out, not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. Accordingly, an arrest was first made of all who pleaded guilty, in other words, of the, of the Christians. Then, upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted, not so much of the crime of firing the city as of hatred against mankind. And so Tacitus says that the Christians in that period of time were a hated group of people, were considered mischievous because of their superstitions, and they were convicted. Not so much of this crime of arson, of starting a fire in the city, but the crime of hating mankind. And so people would point to the Christians and say, they are ones who hate everyone. They are the, uh, they are the ones who are phobic. Those are the ones who are hating of other people. They're the ones who, whose very teachings suggest that what everybody else is doing is wrong. And so they were misunderstood. They were maligned. They were reviled. And then Tacitus goes on to say, mockery of every sort was added to their deaths. Covered with the skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished, or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt. 
to serve as a nightly illumination. In other words, they would put Christians up on these posts and uh, cover them with a flammable material and light them on fire. And there, burning human beings would illuminate the night when daylight had expired. Nero offered his gardens for the spectacle and was exhibiting a show in the circus while he mingled with the people in the dress of a charioteer or stood aloft in a car. Hence, even for criminals who deserved extreme and exemplary punishment, there arose a feeling of compassion. For it was not, as it seemed, for the public good, but to glut one man's cruelty that they were being destroyed. Well, if you go back to the time that first Peter was written. Remember, Peter was was probably writing this letter from Rome uh, in those early 60s AD. It was just before this fire broke out and before this persecution broke out. Peter is writing this letter. Now, if you were writing that letter to a group of people living in a city and you knew that these people were hated, these people were misunderstood, these people were going to be reviled and called haters of mankind, what would you write to encourage them? If you were writing to those Christians, what would you say? Well, the passage that we read today here in 1 Peter chapter 4 is really Peter's way of addressing this issue and preparing a group of people who are hated, who are reviled, who are misunderstood, who are being accused of doing evil, even when they are doing what is good and right. Uh, Peter is writing to those people and he's preparing them for a time when they will be persecuted and when they will go through what's called a fiery trial. And that's exactly the, the word that Peter uses. So uh, look here at 1 Peter chapter 4, and let me just point out three verses from today's uh, fuller reading uh, to, to help highlight this theme that you see that really goes throughout 1 Peter, but that really comes out here in chapter 4 when Peter says, here's how you are to respond when you are reviled, when you are misunderstood, when you are being persecuted. And in verse 12, Peter says, first of all, don't be surprised. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. It's a bit ominous that he uses the word fiery here. Now remember, he's writing this before Nero was putting people up on posts and lighting them on fire. This happened before the great fire, you know, of Rome. But it's it's eerie that Paul, uh, excuse me, that Peter would use that specific terminology. But remember, he's he's alluded to this before, and probably what Peter is thinking about here is how faith is tested. Remember, in chapter one, he said, "Your faith is going to be tested, and it will be tested to be genuine, just like gold is tested." And he says, "There, gold is tested by fire, and in the same way, your faith will be tested." And that testing is not a temptation to do something bad. The test is when you are accused of doing something evil, even when you're doing what is right. Who are you going to entrust yourself to? And, and so Peter, here in chapter 4, comes to this very point, And he says, when you are misunderstood, when you are maligned, when somebody reviles you, when you are hated, and when you are the one who is persecuted, first don't be surprised. It's going to happen. And he says, don't be surprised when the test comes to you. That's verse 12. Then verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So first of all, don't be surprised. Second, rejoice. 
Now that might seem really strange. What would cause me to have joy or even think about being happy in the midst of being persecuted or reviled or maligned or misunderstood? And, and notice that Peter is pointing to something here that he heard from someone else that he specifically would have heard from Jesus. And what Peter passes on to you is this reminder that when you are treated like Jesus, you rejoice. It kind of reminds me of a, 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 a encouragement that I got at one time. This was a number of years ago. I was on a mission trip. We were traveling to the country of Nigeria to, uh, to do some uh, surgeries as a part of a mission hospital there. And on our way down to Nigeria, we had stopped in Paris and we were sitting in the Paris uh, airport. And I was there with one of the long-term missionaries, a surgeon named Henry Farah, who has uh, since passed away, but at the time was this icon of a, a medical missionary who had spent much of his life working there in Nigeria and providing care to people long, long forgotten by the rest of the world. And so we were preparing to go down and provide care to uh, people there in the southern part of Nigeria. Um, but I've been told by people that Nigeria can be an unsafe place. And so we were sitting there in the uh, Paris airport and I, I looked at Dr. Farah and I said, you know, some people have told me that it's, it's going to be dangerous. This place that we're going in Nigeria, I said, is it, is it safe? And you know what he said? Here, this, uh, this uh, old experienced man of faith who had this deep Tennessee draw, leaned his head back and closed his eyes as if he were imagining where we were going to go. And he said, now let's think about that for a moment. And here was his answer. He said, when Jesus came and preached to the people, they killed him. Now we're going to go and preach to the people about Jesus. And then he looked at me and he said, I suppose they'll want to kill us too. And then he paused. And then he followed that by saying, it is an honor to follow Jesus. Well, what was the point that he was trying to make to me? And, and quite frankly, the same point that Peter is making here. That for those people who follow Christ, that to suffer the same sufferings that Christ suffered, to be maligned, to be misunderstood, to be persecuted, that's part of the package. And, and what Peter says here is that you can rejoice. Perhaps what he's saying is, that when you are treated just like Jesus, it means you are being treated just like one of God's children. And so Peter says, first of all here, don't be surprised when you go through that kind of fiery trial. It's not pleasant. It's not what we uh, hope for anyone. It's not what we look forward to, but it's also not the end. Instead, we can see over the horizon. We see past the persecutions. We see past the mistreatment. We see past the harm. And we see what God is doing, making the whole world right again. And it's an honor in the midst of that to be treated as one of God's children. And so second, Peter says, rejoice. And then notice verse 14, he gets to the point three. He says, and if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And so the third thing he says is you're blessed. First, don't be surprised. Second, rejoice. Third, remember that you are blessed. Now, where did Peter get that idea? 
I know one place that he would have gotten it, and that was listening to Jesus teach. Now, we have one example of this uh, back in Matthew chapter 5, where Peter likely heard the Sermon on the Mount and probably heard this said many different times in other settings, but it's recorded for us in the Sermon on the Mount there in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus begins that sermon with what are called the Beatitudes. It's that long list of phrases in which Jesus begins by saying, uh, you are blessed. Uh, if And so he begins that by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes through a series of blessings there. And do you know that, that when he gets to the end, he circles back to the beginning of the Beatitudes. And at the very last one, he says, uh, you are blessed if you are persecuted for doing what is right, persecuted for righteousness' sake, because yours is the kingdom of heaven. It's the same way he started with the poor in spirit. But then he ends that whole series of the Beatitudes by saying this, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, Jesus says. And then Jesus says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great. And that's exactly how they treated the prophets who were before you. So Peter would have heard that. And that would have stuck with Peter all these years. And now Peter, in this position of being one of the shepherds or the elders, who's, who's trying to pass on this, this encouragement and this foundation of faith to a new generation that's about to fa face a fiery, fiery trial, he reminds them, you, when you face trials of many different kinds, you are blessed. And do you know the word blessed that he uses there? It's the very same word that's uh, recorded earlier that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount. It means to be truly happy. Not just happy in the sense of, ha ha, I feel good, but this, in the sense that everything is right. Everything's going to be uh, okay. And there we're introduced to really the theme of First Peter. Everything we've read so far has been a drumbeat on this theme, that if you choose to follow Christ, you will be misunderstood, you will be reviled, you will be persecuted, you will be mistreated, uh, but don't be afraid. Don't be surprised at that fiery trial because you are one of those who will be blessed, who will be truly, truly happy. And so let me show you a few times where that shows up throughout Peter, and then, and then we'll have a few questions at the end. So for 1 Peter, if you just kind of flip back over to the first part of 1 Peter and look in chapter 1, verse 4, when Peter says, remember your inheritance. You have an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And Peter says then in verse 6, in that you rejoice, that same word that he uses in chapter 4, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have to be grieved by various trials. And so Peter is reminding us there that you are, you are one of those who has an inheritance kept by God. And even if now for a little while you have to go through various trials, he's not diminishing the fact that those trials are tough, that they're hard, that they are, uh, they, they are, are tragic in some cases. He's not diminishing that at all. What he's saying is that the reward so far surpasses any of that that they can be called temporary and passing. And so that's in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, he circles back to the same idea 
uh, in a verse. Uh, one example would be verse 21, where he says to those who are servants, and he reminds them, saying, to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. They treated Christ this way. That's how they're going to treat you. Your goal, though, is to look in the snow, as it were, and look for those footprints of Jesus and try to put your feet right where Jesus put his, that you follow in his steps. And if they treat you the same way they treat Jesus, take that as an honor. Somebody is treating you like a child of God. And then in chapter 3, he revisits that theme about suffering for uh, Christ's sake. And, uh, And in verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but alive in the spirit in which he uh, preached to others. And then that's what brings us over to chapter 4, when Peter says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with that same way of thinking. And so Peter's reminding us that that's that's how your big brother, Jesus, was treated. So arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, that if I do what is right and I seek to do what is good, Someone is going to misunderstand that. Someone's going to call that evil. Someone's going to revile that. And they're going to mistreat me. They may even try to stop the good that we try to do. And at the very end, somebody may try to persecute you or do you harm. And Peter says, when that happens, you take on the same mind. In fact, he says, arm yourself with this very same attitude that Jesus had. And what was that attitude? Well, that's what brings us through the verses we read earlier, verse 12, 13, 14. One, don't be surprised at the big trial. Uh, Verse 13, rejoice. And then verse 14, remember you're blessed. And then he brings us to the end of chapter 4, when in this last line of chapter 4, he says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And that's where we'll end our our topic today, really on this point, that Peter says, for any of you who end up being mistreated or suffering according to God's will, may you entrust your souls to the faithful creator. And then don't miss this, continue to do good. The image that comes to mind there when, when, when Peter says, entrust your souls to God, is that you are to lay yourself down right beside God, or place yourself right next to God. That's what the word entrust here means. It means to take something precious and lay it down right next to something else. Maybe you saw the uh, Disney and uh, Walden Productions uh, version of the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, the movie a version of C.S. Lewis's series there. And in the second of those movies called Prince Caspian, there's a scene at the end in Burunda where after this mighty battle, the army is chasing you know, the good guys back across this bridge and you have this uh, enemy evil army and they're, they're running back and kind of retreat back across this bridge. As they come to the bridge, there's Lucy, little young Lucy, who's standing on the other end of the bridge. And we see in the movie where the army is suddenly taken back and they start to move backwards at the sight of this little girl with a tiny, tiny little dagger in her hand. And then the camera pans out and we see what the soldiers see. The reason they're afraid is because next to that little girl is Aslan, the the mighty lion who is standing right next to her, 
on the bridge and then he lets out you know that mighty roar well that's the image that peter gives here when he says to those of you who suffer according to god's will for doing what is right entrust yourselves to the living god entrust your soul to the faithful creator you are the one who is standing there right next to the creator of the entire universe and that's where you place yourself and then don't miss how he ends standing there next to the faithful creator of the entire universe, continue to do good. And next week, we'll come back into the same passage and look at what Peter says it means to continue to do good. What is the good that we can continue to do? And we'll visit that next week. So I hope that you'll take time to read 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, all the way to the end of the chapter. And, and then sp spend some time. I'll, I'll put a few questions on the screen just so that you can go through same questions we'll be going through in my family uh, in this passage to really think deeply about what is Peter trying to pass on to us who in a new day and time are facing a period of time when Christians are going to be treated very poorly. Well, may God bless the reading of his word and our attempts to take this word and put it into practice this week. God bless you. I'll see you next week.